welcome to The Real Dirt with Chip Baker. On today's Dirt, I give friends all over the country a call and chat with them about what's going on in the cannabis scene in their area or around the country. I felt like it was a great opportunity to take a read of what was happening with all aspects of ganja in the country. Today we talk to people who grow cannabis, who sell cannabis, who consult people on cannabis, who have cannabis licenses, who just plain smoke cannabis, buy cannabis, and sell cannabis. I tried to touch as many sides of the issue as I could. Here at our grow stores in Cultivate Colorado and Denver, we see some of the biggest growers in the country We are in a hotbed of growing activity. We also see small guys, guys with one lights, two lights, three lights, six lights, ten lights. At our shop, we're seeing less and less small people come into the shop. Fewer people grow their own weed. Instead, they uh, rely on the cheap and abundant cannabis that's available at dispensaries throughout the city. Here in Denver, you can get an eighth or 10 or $15. You can get an ounce for $69, $79. It's pretty inexpensive. We have similar pricing all over the country. In my feel of the room, it's as, as much as $250 an ounce in some parts of the country and still like hard to get. Interesting transition right now. Small growers are... I shouldn't say are leaving the marketplace, but they're turning the lights off for sure. And hey, some big growers are turning their lights off too because there's so much cannabis in the marketplace here in in Denver and Colorado. Now, uh, this is nationally affected too. There's Oregon and California produce most of the uh, private market cannabis throughout the U.S. And there is tons and tons and tons and tons of private market cannabis available in 2018, more than any other year in the history of the world, I'd say. This past year was the most abundant outdoor growing season in recent record. It's flooded the uh, market with cheap or inexpensive cannabis. It's dropped the price to the farmer. I hear wholesale pricing in California for just like regular kind of weed for 500 bucks a pound. And for some of the nicest weed, a thousand dollars a pound for outdoor greenhouse. And then indoor weed, of course, is more expensive and there's less and less of that. So there is a rarity to it. And we hear prices all over the place, twelve hundred to three thousand dollars a pound for the the highest quality, most boutique strains. It's an interesting place to be. If you have a specialized product, if you have a special arrangement, then man, there's still like high return in the cannabis industry. If you just want to go and grow some weed, then you're going to have to expect to get less for your weed. It's not like the good old days where you could sell your cannabis for, you know, one price no matter what it was. The times have definitely changed throughout the country. In the southeast, people can get cannabis plentifully. In the northeast, it's the same way. It's tolerated, it's becoming socially acceptable. And part of that is because of the the overgrowing of the situation. You know, the cannabis farmers have literally flooded the market, private market and the legal market all over the country. Now, there's some complexities to all of that. For instance, in California, there's not enough legal weed. So they're talking about 
transferring legal weed from Oregon down to California for the transition into the legal recreational and medical markets there in California. Jen, on the private side in California, on the private market side, there's plenty of ganja. And yes, there is still some diversion. There is still some gray market areas where people are buying private market cannabis and pushing it into regulated and legal cannabis. But that's becoming less and less, and it's going to become harder and harder and harder and harder to do in the future. We mostly talk about ganja, smoking ganja, the business of ganja on this show. But, you know, the other side of the industry is absolutely the picks and shovels supply side. That's my job on a day-to-day basis. Uh, I own and operate Cultivate Colorado. I also own and operate a new potting soil company called Growers Potting Soil out of Denver, Colorado. In both of those businesses, we supply all types of tools, fertilizer and soil, medium, to ganja customers, cannabis customers. Because less and less people are growing cannabis, a lot of the small people have gotten out. We've definitely seen a decline in business. As I talk to industry people, distributors, other large go stores, I hear some distributors are down 50%. Some are down 20%. I hear some grow stores are down 50%. And here in my area, in Denver, Colorado, many, many grow stores have gone out of business. You know, many of these people are just fly-by-night people and not serious or never really been in business before. Cultivate Colorado, we are one of the largest grow stores in the country. and We are a little bit down, that's for sure. But we also see customers from other grow stores that have, have fallen apart, that have gone out of business, that can't supply them, that don't have credit anymore come into our shop and, you know, tell us that their old grocery store went out of business or their old grocery store couldn't get the parts and pieces they needed. And that's all because of, of this market shift. You know, the cumulative impact of all of the small growers really does play a significant role in our industry. Cannabis people have traditionally always shopped at hydroponic stores, and many of the commercial people are, are going direct to manufacturers. They're talking to commercial agricultural people. You know, they're not walking into grow stores like they once were. There's definitely a change in the marketplace there. And if you're growing cannabis for sale, if you're a retail cannabis provider, the market has absolutely dropped on the whole around Denver. Even though there's absolutely places here in Denver that still sell ounces for $300 and, you know, in Colorado for sure, you know, $50 eights throughout Colorado are still reasonable. But in Denver, there's such in the front range here, there's such a huge amount of competition Many people, the only way they know how to compete is just by lowering prices. And of course, that's not the best business move. There's many other ways to compete, have a superior product, maybe have superior customer service, a superior location, you know, a superior draw to your product, superior marketing. That's how you have to do it. Unfortunately, many people run to the marketplace and they're not great business people or, hey, they get caught up in the wave of doing things and the price just starts dropping. I mean, I've been guilty of that for sure at our grow stores of competing with pricing. And you have to do that to some degree to keep relevant and to keep customers. For the consumer, there's way more ganja on the market. And mid-level ganja, poor ganja, the quality's gone up significantly. 
unfortunately on the high quality ganja end, there's less and less of that and it's harder and harder to find. We spoke to several people today on the podcast who kind of said this, that they were growing bigger strains and, you know, really thinking about the economy of the yield because it was all going for about the same to them. That's a little disappointing to me, you know, as a ganja connoisseur and someone who just loves to puff on great weed, great tasty weed. I really hate to see that there's not enough connoisseur level cannabis out in the marketplace. Now, all the growers that are listening to this, all the growers in Denver, all the growers in California, listen to me, please. I'm not being an asshole to you. I'm saying this is get out and go and look at other people's weed. Think about how their weed might be better than yours. Don't think about it the other way around. Don't think about how your weed is better than theirs. Because unfortunately, so many cannabis farmers and dealers, they only see their weed. So their perception of what quality is kind of like changes. There's some ego associated with it. But if you're only seeing your quality of product, your style growing, then you're really limiting your scope of what great quality product is. I really encourage farmers to get out there and talk to your other growers and other farmers and, man, kind of just check the ego at the door. You know, come to the situation and think about, like, what is this person doing that can benefit me and increase the quality of my ganja, right? So many growers are really not living up to their potential because they're either satisfied with the status quo or they're just ignorant and don't know what better ganja looks like. So I'm going to challenge you guys out there, man. Come on, let's step it up. Let's step up the quality of cannabis and try to replace paddling for the wave, the constant paddle for catching some waves, man. Grow some great ganja and be proud of it when it's good, but recognize when you need to adjust something, right? And change something. This is going to increase the quality of the cannabis. This is going to increase how you're able to sell it, how quickly you're able to sell it, how much you're able to get. I'm not saying you're going to get more for it, but I'll tell you this. If everybody comes to the room and you got the best weed, you're going to sell it over just some average stuff. There's my little advice. Hey, grow better weed if you can. Check your attitude at the door if you can. Pick up some business skills, man. Like, you know, I'm constantly learning new business techniques, new business skills. I, I join mastermind groups. I read. Um, I talk to other business owners. Because that's the only way we're going to be able to keep up with modern sales, with modern business, is to continue to learn. Not all is bleak. I'm going to say this, that we are in for a, a little bit of rough waters here in the cannabis industry right now, but things will change. Things will level out. Our perception of things will change. It's not crashing. It's really just starting. One of my guests says we're just coming out of the phase one and going into phase two. I can see that. Over the years, I've heard people say the sky's falling. You know, when it was $4,800 a pound, oh, the sky's falling. It's $3,800 a pound. Oh, the sky's falling. It's $3,200 a pound. Oh, the sky's falling. It's $1,000 a pound. Man, it's not really falling. It's just the price and profits falling. And 
it's not as lucrative as it once used to be. It's definitely changing. I can't predict what's really going to happen. I know that if you grow a superior product, if you have a superior service, and you work hard at it with a little bit of luck, then you're going to be okay. Hey, this is Chip from The Real Dirt, and I just want to say download this episode and others at therealdirt.com and on iTunes at The Real Dirt Podcast. Now, there's a couple other Real Dirts out there. Make sure you get the official Real Dirt Podcast and not the other two guys that are out there. Sit back, fire one up like I'm fixing to, and enjoy the show. First time prank caller. I feel like we're the uh, jerky boys here or something. It's my good buddy Justin Jones here. Hello. Justin Jones. How you doing, bud? I'm good. I'm good. How you doing, Mr. Baker? Oh, doing excellent. Hey, man, I'm kind of prank calling you today. I'm recording this conversation. This is part of a a Real Dirt episode we're doing. It's called The State of the Cannabis Union. And I'm just candidly calling up my friends and saying, hey, what's going on with you? And what's going on with weed? All right. What's going on with you? Where are you at, man? Oh, I'm sitting at uh, Land's Inn here in San Francisco. Kind of. Soaking up the uh, moisture and the nice morning here, waiting for the sun to burn some clouds off. Thinking about going and checking out a new uh, one of these rec stores here in San Francisco today. Uh, oh, you should, absolutely should do that. Tell us how the weed is. I know it's expensive according to the uh, weed maps menus. <laughs> what's, what's expensive? Well, you know, 60 and 8. Okay. Well, you know, I know some I know some guys in Oregon and Colorado that like to be getting 60 and 8. <laughs> Oh, hell. Oh, but I just read a great article this morning about how Oregon wants to sell all their extra weed down to California and just make everything all good. So that was a, that was interesting, uh, take on the cannabis industry and what's going on. We got, uh, you know, a couple of million, got like a million extra pounds sitting around in Oregon and California's got like no pot for sale. So I don't know what's going on. Yeah. California has no cannabis for sale on the legal market. There's still tons of private market cannabis up there. That's what we're talking about. That's a first for that type of thing, right? Um, I mean, we've we've never had well, it legal opens the conversation up. Yeah, it, I mean, we're bordering states, so I mean, is it, I mean, how bad is it really to drive over you know, over the state line, or both states are legal, and you can do some sort of uh, you know manifest? Yeah. Oh, abs- absolutely. It seems totally like the legitimate way to handle the situation. Well, the whole country's drinking California and Oregon and Washington wine, so why not get the whole country smoking West Coast weed, right? West Coast weed. Yeah, well, I definitely have an affinity to uh, West Coast weed. It has some of the best cannabis connoisseurs uh, known to the world these days, that's for sure. There's pockets of it throughout the world, but... For sure. There's a nice big uh, conglomerate of it out here, I would agree. So last we spoke, Justin Jones of uh, Dank Colorado, of Dank Consulting, of Kush Bottles, you were still in Colorado, but now you're up in Oregon. You're living the life up there, consulting people, helping people in the cannabis industry. You still get to see a a lot of what's going on. You're still involved in the the local and and state politics. Yeah, definitely. You know, I I try to monitor... All of that. There wasn't much state politics this year in Oregon. They only have a real short legislative session every other year in Oregon. 
<laughs> so they it's only they only get together for a few weeks. So nothing really happened this year in Oregon hmm. on a state level, which, which probably needed to happen. I mean, we've got a licensing is rampantly running out of control in Oregon, and you know they're getting ready to double the amount of growers, which already grew three times more weed than Oregon consumes in a year. Why do you so, think people? Do, why do you think that, people are doing that? Why do you think people are still rushing into the the industry in Oregon when the price is so low? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I've been asked multiple times to invest in some companies in Oregon. And I've said this flat out, said, sorry, I can't do it. And they say, why? And I said, because there's too much pot and there's not enough people to smoke at all in Oregon. And Oregon doesn't have as, as robust of a of a tourism thing going on like Colorado to support mm. the out-of-state thing. And, and it's so we're the Pacific Northwest is kind of so far removed from the rest of the country that it doesn't enjoy the the types of traveling situations and out-of-towners that uh, I think you see in Colorado or in Las Vegas or even in California. Right. You just have Portland, maybe. Well, the thing about Portland is, you know, I can drive right over the over the river and I'm in Washington and I've got access to all of the amazing cannabis products that are coming out of the state of Washington, which has a very mature market coming up on four full years of recreational. And it gets spread thin there, too, because a lot of people that that function and live around Portland also function and live in, in uh, Vancouver, Washington. And, right, you know, absolutely. so, which is kind of nice for the consumer. I mean, you can drive over the river and have access to all these growers from, you know, this Puget Sound area and, the, you know, all over Washington, which has some amazing cultivators for sure. The Oregon market is flooded. The California market is dry and just started to, to come into compliance. There's only a handful of legal operations in California where they're cultivating or they're retail selling it. What else going on in the in the country? Can you make a comment on the cannabis state of union as a, as a whole? I think that we just had an exciting month of April, and April's always exciting for the cannabis industry with all the events and the 420 celebrations. I think we've seen a coming out in people like, well, we've got the, the senator that just came on board, and he's a Democrat but was not supportive of cannabis, and so that would be Senator Schumer. You've got you know Donald Trump just back down to Cory Gardner saying, okay, well, we're going to play ball and get some sort of federalism bill you know, initiated to protect our states and, and basically give us states' rights protection. So I think that was amazing, and we'll see what happens. There's a lot of work to be done there. And, uh, you know, you've got other, you know, the former uh, Speaker of the House, Maynard, big Republican. Now, you know, people are a little skeptical that he's doing it for the dough. But at the end of the day, he's coming out of the closet into uh, an arena that guys like him have not been supportive of. So I think that these are important steps national level for to to show everybody, hey, you can change your mind. You can have an opinion and be wrong and change your opinion and make it right. So I think we're we're in the right steps on a federal level. And I think that we should get some good work done out in D.C. this year. Oh, man, that sounds so positive. I'm glad I started this uh, episode off with you. That's great, Justin. Thanks for that positivity, man. Well, you know, (laughs) I mean, we're what California does, the world does. And so I think that we're you know, we're, we're five months into, you know, recreational market in California and, and, you know, it's growing and it's transforming. And like you said earlier, it's, it's, you've got kind of an intermingling of a private former private market now with the regulated tracks, you know, seed to sale tracking going on. And, and I think that, it, uh, you know, over this whole year, you'll see California really blossom into a excellent 
regulated market and you'll see a lot of uh, a lot of good things come and i'm excited to watch it happen and see some of my friends that are out here operating and and watch some uh, watch their success so it's, it's great oh that's awesome man well hey thanks for picking up the phone today justin yeah yeah well you know i will leave you with this one of the things you asked me a minute ago and i didn't answer was you know why are people still trying to get licenses in oregon and you know oregon has the easiest regulated market to obtain a license and you don't even have to live in Oregon. You don't even ever have to step foot in Oregon to get a cannabis license to grow, sell, process, R&D. You know, at the end of the day, the reason people are still jumping in is because even though they don't have a license yet, they're already in. You know, I've got a friend who's in dollars $400,000 in, hasn't started operating yet, still going through the licensing process. But if they call it off right now, they're definitely going to lose all of that money. So, you know, what do you do? Well, <laughs> don't you, call you it know, off. You, you throw, you don't call it off. You move forward and throw good money after bad and I don't know, cross your fingers. I, I mean, you know, personally, uh, you know, we've had to make major adjustments to our operations in Colorado uh, to stay competitive. When an eighth of cannabis comes down to $20, $15, $10, it's very hard to to make profits uh, with the 280E tax burden that we get on the, on the back end with the federal taxes. So, you know, there's also an issue that nobody's talking about, and that is, is it possible that cannabis is come down in price too far to maintain profit margins to run your companies. And and I think that we're seeing that in Colorado. And I guess the name of the game right now in Colorado and, and in Oregon, it's going to be vertical integration. And that's, you know, one way around oversupply and, and surpluses and those sort of things. And that is have something that nobody else has and have one place to get it or, or you know, a limited amount of places that you can get that product and set yourself away from, you know, the rest of the companies. And I guess that just falls into every other type of regular capitalism. And that is, you know, get a brand, run it, do it right. And hopefully the customers will support you. Yeah. Great advice, man. Hey, it was great talking to you today, Justin. Yeah, you too, Chip. Have fun with your prank calls. (laughs) Well, it's not quite as fun as sitting around at the uh, studio there with you and, you know, tasting lots of different flavors of flour, but I like the prank call too. (laughs) Prank call. Great, Justin. Thanks. All right. That was Justin Jones with Dank Colorado and so much other stuff nationally with cannabis. It was, that was a really interesting conversation. He's always so positive. So, hey, I got a good one on the phone here, I bet. Let's let's try to call Fletcher Watson with Archive Seeds. All right, here we go. Hey, what's up, Chip? I'm recording Real Dirt, man. This is a prank call. Prank call. Hey, can you check and see if your refrigerator's <laughs> running, man? I don't know. I'll go outside and see if it's taken off. <laughs> <laughs> Hysterical. Oh, uh, yeah, man. I just thought I'd call up some of my friends and ask them about the uh, state of the cannabis union. And I figured you were probably smoking some good weed right about now at 1139 in the morning. That, uh, yep, I got the pass pulled out already. <laughs> oh, sweet. So what you smoking on 2018? Dosido 22, 120 micron, bubble hash rosin. Oh, awesome, man. You know, you, you've really gotten into the uh, the rosin and the bubble extracted hashish the last several years. Well, I was always into the bubble hash. Yeah, totally. I remember from early days of that. Yeah, like... Uh, Jeff, cannabis reverend, right, who works at Puffin Farms up here in Washington, he was like old school glass blower in the scene. And I'm sure you remember back in like around 2000 and stuff, 
Bubble Man used to have the melting something. It was like a glass gallery up in Vancouver, right? Yeah, totally. Anyways, the like glass scene and the bubble hash, bubble man Canadian scene was like really intertwined. I mean, like Marble Slinger, the glass blower used to live up in Vancouver. It was like its whole own scene. So we were like really on to the bubble hash real early. Jeff Cannabis Reverend showed me how to make it when I was like 17. And that's pretty much all I've ever made. <laughs> I made my first batch of bubble hash of Albert Walker and the Sweeties at Jeff's parents' house. <laughs> <laughs> I'll say that you curate a fine stash of hash. Yeah, I got freezers full. <laughs> so, man, I'm calling around my buddies today and I'm kind of asking them, like, what is their cannabis state of the union or what is the state of the union in cannabis? I wonder if you got an opinion on that. What's going on? In terms of the business or the quality or international or whatever you want to talk about. How about that? I think more than anything, what we're seeing is the industrialization of an agricultural commodity that used to be produced by many, many small farmers, like pretty much every produce was done prior to 1900 in the industrialization of agriculture. And, uh, you know, we're seeing a lot of economic and social changes as a result of that. I think it's a, a real important change to notice. I think uh, everybody has seen, uh, you know, like your local hydro stores probably shutting down in a lot of places, right? Yeah, just so many stores opened up everywhere. Now they're shutting down. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that's kind of what happens when industrialization blossoms is you have thousands and thousands of people trying to emerge in a new marketplace. But when the odds are stacked against you in terms of scalability and commercialization, it's hard to find a place for your product when there's tons of product in the marketplace. So you're in Portland, Oregon. Your dispensary is, it's called Archive Genetics? Yep, or? Archive Portland, and it's a dispensary, clone nursery, breeding facility, and flower productions. You're right in the heart of it. You're in, in the largest city in Oregon. Oregon has millions of pounds of surplus weed. Like we, yep. we, me and you have, have theorized about this over the years. Like, wow, what's going to happen where these people are going to shut down? Like what's happened with other people and, and how are you able to like keep your place in the market? People are shutting down. People are trying to sell their business. I mean, up here in Washington, because it's a couple years more mature than Oregon and there's no vertical integration in Washington. So the wholesale market in Washington susses itself out more quickly. Basically you can buy like a hundred light operation, fully operational, licensed and everything up here in Washington for like three, four hundred grand now. That same facility probably cost that person over a million dollars to set up. Yeah. Plus right, their time. Right. So it's a good time good time to buy grow facilities maybe or, or dispensaries. But you gotta maybe. know what I you're mean, getting into. You know, I think with any agricultural market and we've seen this historically as well, is that there's several waves of players right? That come in. So the first wave came in, they're the ones with all the money, but don't know what they're doing. They fail pretty regularly and pretty quickly. And those are followed up by the people with not quite as much money, but a little more knowledge and think they can come in and kind of knock the previous guy off his ladder. Problem is how many of those emerge, right? And so, so basically there's three waves. The first wave is establishing market dominance. The second wave is trying to knock the dominant players off the pedestal and wave three is just developing a, a efficient market that you can make money off of. That's it. Um, we're in wave two up here in Washington 
it's still kind of wave one in Oregon, but it's quickly becoming wave two. A lot of facilities are starting to, to go belly up, or, or, or at least the ones that were inefficient with their spending. But those haven't really gone down in price. People still want good money down there be, for what they have because people are trying to hold on still. They haven't spent two or three years just digging in the dirt and finding no gold. Right. And that's what it takes time, time and frustration of banging yourself against the wall. Yeah. So it's a little bit of an accelerated plan in Oregon. Um, I think it's it probably take about four to five years up here in Washington to get where we are. I think we legalized in 2014 up here. So, you know, Oregon's getting to stage two real quick or the second wave where, you know, people come in and purchase out these failed operations and intend to come in and not the dominant players out of out of place, right? We just haven't quite gotten there in Oregon yet, but we've only been up for a year and a half. So we're quickly approaching that reality. I think uh, more so than anything, like what we're seeing in Oregon is when you have vertical integration and unlimited licensing, unlike Washington, is that, I mean, there's stores with $60 ounces out the door. And what you end up seeing is just a reduction in the overall money being spent on cannabis, even though people are consuming the same amount, they're spending a third of the money they used to on it, right? Which makes for a much smaller pie for many more players to play in. Supply and demand. Yeah. Industrialized businesses that have large facilities and are really well scaled seem to be doing pretty well in places like Oregon and Washington. The very biggest guys do well because they establish their brand name and they are able to put product out at a price that small producers with the inherent inefficiencies of small business can't reach or at least can't reach profitably. And most of the small business owners rely on their business for their income, whereas a lot of the large facilities do not care about how much money the business actually makes because they already are are well-funded in their own personal lives. Yeah, they're looking for longer-term goals. Exactly. They're mm-hmm. not, they don't need a, a certain amount of profit just to be able to pay their rent, mortgage, and bills. That's the reality for a lot of the small farmers, especially the bootstrappers. What do you consider a small farmer up there? I would say under 100 lights, um, mm-hmm. so under 2,000 square feet of cultivation, Okay, which is like I've said many times before, is, is the level that I think most states should have regulated cannabis maximum production levels at. That would have pre- preserved the profitability of the hydro industry. It would have preserved the amount of employment that the industry is producing. Because if you think about it like this, if there's a thousand lights of cultivation in one facility, how many accountants are, are being used for that facility? How many lawyers? How many? Just one right? They have one lawyer, one attorney, one accountant, maybe a couple quote unquote master growers, and then a bunch of just workers, right? If that thousand lighter were were separated into 10 facilities because of a 2000 square foot production cap, you'd be, you'd have 10 accountants hired for that, 10 attorneys, Mm -hmm. um, 10 master growers, 10 different sets of metrics compliance officers and everybody else that you need for your facilities. So the Inherent inefficiencies of small-scale production is what made for such a robust market in the illegal trade of cannabis, right? Right, right, sure. It was all the inefficiencies of all the little guys that made for all these side businesses to be profitable. So basically, when you centralize all that production, you get rid of all the jobs, right? Or not all, but 90% of the jobs. I mean, I always make this point, too, is... Before 1900, something like 70% or, or, or more of the American population lived and worked on farms, right? This is a rural agricultural society. 
after the industrialization of agriculture, it was it basically flipped. And that's because we industrialized labor in the early 1900s through the mechanization using tractors and, and combines and everything else that we didn't have that technology prior to the 1900s. Right. Absolutely. So when, so, you, go, when you go drive through central California and you look at these big mega farms, but it's, 150 years ago, you would have seen dozens of people out there working in the fields. Now you're lucky to see one guy in an ATV riding around and checking water, you know, irrigation fittings. Sure. There's still tons of agriculture, though, that's all harvested by hand and can't be mechanized or not cheap, though. Not uh, much. Well, I, I mean, mean celery, they, I mean, celery, lettuce, grapes, just things to come to mind. Yeah, they can be mechanized, but most people don't. Right. Well, it depends on what you're. What, it depends on what you're harvesting the product for. So, if you're harvesting like grapes for table grapes, <laughs> yeah. yes, they do harvest them. But if they har- if they're harvesting them for wine, they don't care. Right. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Just get, um, get them off. But the, it, but the thing is, is like the demand for those products is a lot higher because some a lot of those you know products have more industrial or socially mm. accepted uses you've seen a separation of higher quality or higher end product from lower end product or is there just a market standard pricing for most people not talking about yourself other people because i know you got a unique business program i think it's just like food i mean we're seeing a, a distribution just like food and with typical most food things the best quality product, let's say that you buy at a farmer's market, is usually about a hundred percent markup over whatever standard fare for the you know mid-grade Fred Meyer quality, whatever, right? It's like a fifty-cent apple at Fred Meyer or Safeway or wherever you're going is like a maybe a dollar apple at this farmer's market, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and that's basically what we're seeing for cannabis. So. In like, for example, Colorado, it seems to be the 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 main going rates around eight hundred to a thousand bucks, right? Uh, that's reasonable. Yeah, totally. What the guys that are producing good quality in lower volumes that aren't fully scaled, the highest I've heard is sixteen to eighteen hundred, and we're seeing a pretty similar thing in Oregon. It's like a thousand for the cheap stuff, two thousand for the best stuff. Washington, the price disparity is even less. It's like twelve hundred for the mid grade and like sixteen to eighteen hundred for the high grade. And then there's always anomalies that fit outside of those boxes, right? Businesses with great marketing, businesses that are vertically integrated, or businesses that, um, you know, maybe your shit tests high. I mean, there's a, you know, it depends on your market, whatever the people are demanding there. But typically, those higher end markets where you're getting more than a hundred percent than the going market rate for your product means that it's not a very scalable business. So maybe at the hundred lights you have, you can sell everything for 2,400 bucks a pound. But if you stepped it up to like a thousand lights, you wouldn't be getting 2,400 anymore because you've saturated your market Mm -hmm. and the exclusivity and your unavailability in the marketplace is what drove your price higher previously. Right. Right, back once you try to demand. scale it, yeah, totally. Yeah, it's exactly it's just straight supply demand. Oh, I know. Not, I, I hear I hear people make this type of phraseology all the time. It's like, wow, man. Well, it sells for like you know three hundred dollars an ounce where I am. Like, oh my god, like that's forty eight hundred dollars a pound. You grow a hundred pounds, like you got half million dollars, and but it does not work that way, right? The more you grow, the less you sell it for, right? The more you grow, the more expenses that you incur in growing it. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So that's what most people don't realize is that once you hit 
the point of equilibrium between your supply and demand and, and your product is at the sale price and expense per pound that you want it to be to be profitable, as soon as you start exceeding that volume, it, you're basically cutting your own feet off, right? And this is why farmers unions and federal subsidies for agriculture even exist in the first place, right? Because greed doesn't work very well in an agricultural commodity because you have no pat, you have no patent protection, you have no trademark protection, and you don't have a product that's technologically difficult for someone else to reproduce. All someone else Absolutely. needs is some seeds in three months of time, and they're your competitor, right? Yeah, and the marketplace is the c- consumer is so uneducated, really, not by his design that you could call one seed, you know, someone else's genetic and most people would not know. So yeah, as long as it's not garbage quality, as it long won't, as not, won't yeah, make ex- a absolutely. Right. Like you've yeah. got a, You've got an incredible strain. Dosey dough. We love Dosey dough so much, but, uh, uh, most people in the country that smoke cannabis don't know that strain, or if they have heard of it, they don't haven't smoked it. Right. And even if yeah, they, they have, have smoked it, reference. they don't even they yeah. couldn't even identify it really visually. So it's really easy for charlatans to come into the marketplace and say, oh, I've got do do Right. And, right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and at the end of the day, 90 percent of the marketplace doesn't really care anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> just like liquor and alcohol and everything else. Ninety percent of the market doesn't really care if you sell blue. I mean, Blue Dream's still the best selling weed in Washington state. And yeah, um, yeah totally. Supposedly California and people, Colorado. Most, the people just don't care. And if it's grown well, it's good enough for them. Like I've, I, I point out all the time. The mid-grade quality used to be pretty terrible. Beasters, you know, <laughs> moldy outdoor, just garbage, right? But now it's the best so meat some people dis- have ever smoked. Right. And so mm-hmm. the despair and, – and people used to pay $40 an eighth for that product. Um, and then back then, $50 an eighth was what you'd be paying for what something that is distinctly a much better product, right, because of how bad the mid-grade was, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. That gap was huge for such a very small amount of money. That gap has has shrunk massively. So the mid-grade quality is way better than it used to be. It's way better than what the oh, average consumer yeah. used to be buying for $40 an eight, yeah, right? Yeah. And they're getting that product for $20 an eight or cheaper even, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, so they don't really have an interest in like spending $40, $50 an eighth anymore when they're getting – a product that's two or three times better than what they used to spend $40 on for a (laughs) fraction of the price. Right. And in the end, to many of those consumers, it's still just weed. And that's as far as it goes. It's a good weed. Exactly. And that's why it makes quality products, high-end products, and high-margin products not very scalable in the cannabis marketplace without a really strong either marketing strategy or some type of hype behind it. Right. It's really difficult yeah. because there's simply not enough people that care to want to spend that extra money when the mid-level is becoming so much better, right? Wow, I mean, yeah. it'd, it'd be like, uh, you know, it'd be like with beer where, you know, the, every, people are buying those $12 bottles of beer or whatever they are, right? And the reason they still spend that is because Budweiser hasn't increased their quality in 70 years, right? <laughs> but right, if, for whatever right. reason, the market... But if for whatever reason the market demanded that Budweiser be, you know, some kind of high end beer quality and the bottom level of Bud Light and Michelob Light, it wasn't piss water anymore. It was actually good beer. The value of those twelve dollar bottles would be affected. Right. (laughs) 
Yeah, be- beer and wines often uh, used as an example for the higher quality product or the or the more expensive product or the higher end consumer products. Uh, but it took a long time it's for a, that a market to develop. Yeah, for me, for me, it it has it's a double edged sword with alcohol and liquor because there there's really for certain analogies it's very accurate and for other ones it's very inaccurate right so people like to try to compare it to liquor cannabis to liquor all the time saying that uh you know there's bottle of wines that go five for five hundred dollars and bottles of wine that go for three dollars right mm-hmm. name one eighth that goes for three dollars and one one eighth that goes for five hundred dollars right we don't have a price disparity in cannabis that's that large, even at all. We're much more reflective of, of agro, agricultural goods, not processed goods. And the main reason, in my opinion, for that, that alcohol for the last 70 or 80, you know, whatever, 1930 or 30, whatever, that we um, ended prohibition of alcohol. Basically, we've been advertising and marketing and making alcohol usage socially acceptable for that long. Right. I mean, how many billions of dollars was spent on convincing people that out that certain types of alcohol are worth that much more money? Right. That right? wine from California was just as good as any other wine in the country, in the world. Well, I mean, the, the in, in the 1950s, right after World War Two, I can't I was reading some marketing book a, a year or two ago, and they made the point that in the 50s, there was a small group of wine producers. Uh, wine consumption had like basically died off in America. Right. And no one was purchasing in the late 40s, early 50s. And there was a small group of wine producers that decided to have a really strong marketing effort to make wine popular again. Right. And essentially, the modern wine consuming market in America was created by this marketing strategy. Right. Mm-hmm. Because wine consumption had basically died. There was like no vineyards. And, and I have to look it up to be more familiarized with it again. But the point is that. Things go in and out of fashion, and it requires a lot of money and concerted effort to make things popularized again to the point that you can see a price disparity like $500 bottles and $3 bottles. It costs a lot of money to get to that. (laughs) Yeah, it does. I say this all the time about marketing and branding. You know, marketing and branding is on the back of sales. And if you make millions and millions of dollars in sales or many, many, many successful sales, then your brand starts to take hold. But until then, it's just another product with a nice label. Exactly. Exactly. And that's unfortunately with the way the the laws are written, cannabis and cannabis companies do not have the ability to market as well as alcohol companies do to try to create that disparity in, in value to the customer. Right. Well, it sounds like uh, we're not seeing the difference. Things, so. things things are definitely growing, that's for sure, Fletcher. And, man, I'm going to apologize and say I'm sorry I haven't made it up to uh, visit your store in Portland, Oregon. I, I talk to so many people who come into your store and tell me that you've got the best weed. And I already know that you have some of the best weed in the world, but um, I, I got to make it up there to, to, come and, to come and get it. Hey man, uh, thank you. Thank thanks for uh, giving me uh, giving me your time today, dude. I, n- I know you're busy. Thanks for this prank call. Yeah, totally. Stacy, he's a good buddy of mine too, man. He grows super dank weed up in Nederland, Colorado, at Harvest House. We've had him on our show. Uh, he's got a unique perspective. He, he he's got a small shop, similar to Fletcher's. He grows uh, in the back for the shop and sells it out front. 
boutique strains. Uh, but hey, you know, I, I know he's always into something interesting. Let's give him a call. Hello. What up, Stacy? Chip here. Prank calls. Prank calls with Chip on the real dirt. <laughs> hey. <laughs> I'm I'm recording you live right now, so don't say anything too uh, disturbing. Okay. <laughs> I won't. <laughs> Thanks for the warning. Yeah, man. How you doing? I'm good. Mm, awesome. I'm just uh, sitting back in my house today and uh, decided I'd call up my friends and ask them the state of the cannabis union as they may see it. I've just mm. gotten off the phone with uh, Justin Jones and our good buddy Fletcher up in Portland. And, you know, I, I thought you might have a, a different point of view. So I thought I'd give you a call and say, hey, man, what's going on with weed these days? I'm pretty isolated. I check it out from a very small and, you know, vantage point up here. I don't get down into the, the rest of the state because I'm busy working. But here we've raised prices and really focusing on quality. And even when we have to devalue some pot, uh, made the decision to not buy any wholesale and to grow it all ourselves. What do you mean devalue pot? You decided not to devalue or you decided to devalue? Well, yourself? I had I had initially when the market had changed, um, decided to buy a wholesale for our lower tiered pot and limit what I was growing. But I was so dissatisfied with what I saw, at least where I was looking on the wholesale market. I just decided that I'd rather offer maybe some flour that didn't turn out to my highest expectation to offer it at budget prices maybe have a hermaphrodite blow it out at really cheap and you know offer it as doobies and we have a really awesome lady who'll come in knock out pounds and pounds of pre-rolls in, an, in a not an hour a day and so just really trying to maximize and use quality products. You know, a lot of the pre-rolls out there are, are pretty gnarly. Yes, yeah, just leaf so, and bullshit, huh? Yeah. Mm -hmm. a lot, yeah, a lot of uh, barely sugar trim. But, you know, we have people walking in the store all the time asking for dollar joints. And, you know, we really, we, we really can't do that. We're making the effort to, you know, bring a quality product to, you know, the folks at as low a price as we can. And, you know, my as opposed to... You know, large contract trim crews, you know, all of my pot is uh, trimmed by my mother or one of the bud tenders if we have extra. So <laughs> family operation there. So, yeah. so you're, you're focusing in, internally on your own, your own production and, and, and have increased your prices a bit. You've, you've said no to the, how the market is, has pushed the pricing of cannabis to battle against it. Uh, but you, you're kind of up in a small little mountain town, though, and and every time I talk to you, you seem like your your store is just doing great, man. Like people, every time I'm in there, there's multiple people in there. We can hardly get in a conversation. Well, we're we're steadily growing year after year now, and and you know each comparable, you know, same month, different year, we've had growth, and it's been a process of learning how to do it, what people want, but it's been. Uh, definitely been a learning process and the concentrates and the, the edibles presentation has developed and matured and uh, much more sophisticated presentation and more high quality products. And certainly concentrates are moving quick and prices have come down and people are able to 
take advantage of better pricing on a lot of these live products. It's actually, it's kind of a fun time to be retailing. In, in what manner? What do you mean? I never, uh, I only really pictured myself as a grower and, and honestly had considered not even opening the store and just growing. But I'm certainly thankful that I didn't rely on just wholesale production at this point. So it's it's fun learning uh, what people want as far as their their edibles, topicals, concentrates, reacting to uh, you know trends. You know, at one point, one particular chocolate's really popular, and then something new comes out, and that old thing doesn't move next to the new product. So it's it's constantly. Sh- changing and shifting we're definitely seeing a decrease in flower sales broadly significantly moving to extracts yes moving to extracts and as a fanatic you know that's a little bit uh it was yesterday i was actually going over these numbers you know january to april 17 versus 18 and and that jumped out and the you know the the increase in concentrates is you know really significant. And to put it into contrast, when I opened, you know, shatter, and there were some waxes, but mostly shatter on the market. And you know, uh, we had almost no concentrate sales when we opened. But now I would say we're you know certainly at thirty thirty five percent of of gross sales. Oh, wow, wow. What's a uh... What's a what's the common way people buy it? Is it by the gram or is it in the vape pen or the cartridge? I don't really keep track of the vape pen versus the uh, mm-hmm. the regular waxes, shatters, resins, rosins. It all changes <laughs> really quick. Um, you know, I think that dry dabs are pretty close to dead, and live products are are definitely they're a much more enjoyable product to use. So people people buy it by the gram or the cartridge. Huh? What's the <clears throat> average gram of uh, of of extract or average cartridge cost? The middle of the road pricing, which is really at this point, the quality is is super high and very hard to you know really justify the difference between the the higher end. But the you know forty dollar retail uh, gram of green dot C- silver label or CRX, really nice. And I don't really keep track of the the pens and cartridges. I I, I steer my friends towards buying a ceramic chambered pen and using just whatever other concentrate they want versus a cartridge. But Green Dot has a nice live resin pen out now that's uh, that people are really liking because you can you can taste the strain specific contents. Back to flour. How much for like an eighth? Is that that the common way you sell it? Is by the eighth? We've got it at different price tiers. Yeah, eighth mm-hmm. um, gram, eighth quarter, half ounce. We mix and match, it's kind of deli style. I think they people refer to it as mm-hmm. opposed to uh, prepackaging. Right, right. Honestly, I I don't really keep, keep track of the pricing after I set it. Oh sure, sure. I'm not I'm not sure what an eighth is. Right. But we've got them at you know we've got it from the heady where. Things that I think turned out particularly nice, kind of stick them above top, top tier, top shelf, and then we have uh, what we call mid tier. 
So, man, I, I know you got your pricing there. Are you trying to like not not uh, divulge your pricing on the internet or something? No, man, I don't <laughs> want to misquote it. I don't have it in front of me. But okay, okay, I get it, I get it, I get it. <laughs> so, like fifty dollar eighths for the high end stuff, forty five bucks. Um, sixty. I know bucks. that we're selling uh, our our top or what I'm calling the, the headies. We're selling that at two fifty an ounce plus tax, and then top shelf is two hundred. Okay. And yeah. Okay. That's what I was trying to get. That's what I was trying to get. Uh-huh. Well, man, I was just talking to Justin Jones over in Oregon. And man, he says there's like ten dollar eights on the market here in Colorado. Yeah, I've yeah. heard eighty dollar ounces. Yeah, totally. Seventy nine dollar ounces, I think that's what he said. Yeah. Why do you think you're able to like is it solely the quality? Is that was that why you're able? Is it is it you the population, your location? Well, we have a, a local population of, you know, our our customers. And, you know, we are uh, like 2,000 people or something up in Netherlands, huh? Yeah, I think it's about 1,800 maybe for the town and maybe to 10,000 if you go up and down the peak to peak towards Ward or into Gilpin County. Mm-hmm. So we have a, a, a community that has traditionally had a lot of home growers. That's kind of changed a bit lately. So there's a, there's a strong local customer base but we are in a real growing tourist market and we're also uh only a 20 minute drive from boulder for the people that are into the kind of flowers that i sell so it's it's an easy jump up the canyon oh man i know people from aurora that drive over to your place (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome (laughs) yeah hour away totally hour away it's got to be right <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, Aurora is a good hour for mm-hmm. sure, mm-hmm. with no traffic. Right. Wow, that's that's awesome. <laughs> awesome, dude. Well, hey, man, I'm I'm glad we got to chat today. Thanks for picking up the phone, and I'm just trying to you know uh, calling around, just uh, bullshitting with people, and put a finger on a trigger, so to speak. Yeah, man. Well, good talking to you. Yeah. Thanks again. Thanks, Stacy. Oh, Stacy's a great guy. Great weed. I'll have to drive up there and, and pick me up a sack of his uh, headbanger this weekend. You know what? Uh, I'm, I'm going to give uh, another friend of mine a call here. Ron Edwards. He's a longtime cannabis grower, cannabis breeder, outdoor in Mendocino County. He knows cannabis planting techniques and strains, man, like few other people. Uh, he really understands how the cannabis plant flowers and and grows and and he's just really interesting guy to always chat with he has got a newly formed nursery in willits california and i believe it's called cka nursery let's give him a call ron edwards maker of kong it's one of his strains i've always liked ron barry hello hey what's up ron can you hear me oh yeah i'm just in between uh working groups today oh awesome well hey ron i'm recording you live here on the real dirt i'm just uh calling around prank calling my friends prank call prank <laughs> call here here's, here's a prank call you uh, uh uh there's no more 280e taxation ron oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh boy would that be a great call yeah right so, uh, Ron, I've never had you on the show, but you're a longtime friend. You have a, a nursery in Willits, California. CKA Nursery is that is that your correct? Correct. 
you can uh, check Ron out on Instagram and Facebook. But, uh, man, I'm just calling around people and asking them what the Cannabis State of the Union is. And I know that you, you've been working really hard in Mendocino County to get good regulated cannabis laws uh, initiated. Can you tell me what's happening? Yeah, well, good day you got me is that uh, this morning, one of the problems in Mendocino is we have the dual track and trace system that Humboldt has, which is uh, the SICPA along with the state. So uh, this morning we made progress in actually getting rid of the second requirement. So as soon as the state comes along, we'll just be entering into one system. So we're making good progress. Um, got rid of the need for administrative permits for uh, rangeland timber uh, and forest land, which is really good. Save, saves quite a bit of money. And uh, the season is crazy right now <laughs> with uh, people wanting clones and plants. You know, I didn't think that many p- people had been gotten licenses in Mendocino, but I saw the other day that like almost 200 people have gotten licensed there now. Is that correct? Yeah, Something the big, like yeah, two, we're 204 oh, uh, was okay. the last awesome. update this morning. And that's because the administrative permit uh, <clears throat> fell away. So a good, there were 250 people that had applied that were either in rangeland, TPZ, or forest land. And so the board said you no longer have to go through that permit process before you have to have an archaeological review and <laughs> notifying your neighbors and going through all this extra process. So they eliminated that. So you'll start seeing a few more. But, you know, we only had 810 applicants total for all sectors in Mendocino. So it's slow, but we're getting there. Right. So. You're selling uh, a select genetics through your nursery. Can you make any like like predictions based on like what you're selling over uh, uh, strains or, or pricing or availability or anything like that? Well, what's interesting is a shift. Of course, there is the light depth, which those orders are in the thousands right now of people. And as nurseries, it's kind of hard to keep up. But but the big shift I'm seeing is that people are making the business decision that since the price is so low for no matter what they seem to grow, that they're going for plants that are going to give them more yield this year. So last year, people were focusing on, you know, specialty cookies and so forth, where this year the demand is more back towards the Blue Dream and the Berry White and the larger yield because the farmers are feeling that they'll do better with volume as opposed to specialties. Oh yeah. I see. I absolutely see where they're coming from as a, uh, a cannabis connoisseur. That's concerning for sure. You know, there, there's still going to be the specialty, but you know, what I'm noticing is that Facebook was nice to remind me that by this time last year, I had been at three farmers markets and I'm really missing that this year because it was going to escape from the farm, a chance to talk to cultivators. Um, It it was a more intimate conversation that took place, particularly recommending clones, which strains might work for their microclimate. And I know that cultivators also were able to sell their product and really build their brand that way. Um, And so people will start following with the, the farmer's markets to come get your product. It was kind of a way to bypass the whole formal system um and we're making progress it was nice that high times just got approved two days ago to actually have uh cannabis at the uh cup in sacramento that's coming up this weekend right i'd heard people were complaining about that but 
Yeah, that's uh, yes, because in California, unique situation is now you can buy cannabis at big festivals and whatnot. There's still AB 2029 is going through uh, today to kind of open up those farmers market type sales, because right now it's only open to retailers and it's only available at state fairgrounds. And so they're finding that that's really quite limiting. In fact, in Mendocino, there's only two locations uh, where those types of events can take place. And the thing we're trying to work around here in Mendocino is that along with your cultivation permit comes an auxiliary retail permit that allows you to vend at uh, farmer's markets because really the key, like you said, the connoisseur brands, that's really where Mendocino is going to be with the limitation of the 10,000 square feet. Uh, that's mm-hmm. more of a craft cultivator. Right. So if the cultivators are able to go to the markets, they can build their own own brands that way. Yeah, you know, and I initially thought that was going to be a limiting factor in Trinity and Mendocino County. But as I've been doing research all over the state, it's under 10,000 square feet and under the easier licenses to get. So that's actually most of the licenses that I see. Right. So what I thought it was going to hurt Mendocino and Trinity and it's it's not. That's the norm. 10,000 square feet now the norm license. Yeah, it is. I mean, because it, if you look at the state, you know, Mendocino, the largest you can get is 10,000. But at the state, that's considered cottage. And mm-hmm. so yeah, it's perfect. a little bit of disconnect. Right, and right. in Mendocino, we have the 2,500 square foot cottage industry, but there are only seven permits issued in that because at the 2,500 square feet, it's really hard to, to do the economics and really make that work. So oh, most yeah. of the people have gone with the 10,000 square feet to even begin to compete. Right. You just got to be want to grow weed at that level. Um, yeah. And it was, you know, it, the one interesting shift we've had here in Mendocino is that people were worried that the big corporations were going to come take over. But, you know, when you look at it, a corporation is not coming to Mendocino to cultivate a quarter acre. Um, so mm-hmm. we're kind of protected in that aspect of it. And one of the working groups that we're working on, this afternoon is going to be transferability, which is really the next big issue for farmers. Um, right, because right. It, did they not allow that in Mendocino? No, you can't. And in fact, it's even worse because if you leave your property, technically everything you did for cannabis needs to be remediated. Mm, um, right. So it really makes it hard to invest. So the, sure. the good side is that Mendocino is very open to working with the cultivators, unlike, uh, you know, Sonoma County, which says these are the rules and live with it. Um, we're we're kind of open here. And the, the problem, though, is that people aren't participating in the process. You know, it's hard going from being a cultivator of enjoying life. I think you wrote a great post about how life was and to make this transition to, OK, your business, you have to be involved in government and regulators and getting people to understand that as you participate, you actually can affect change. Yeah, you have to, man. You got to work for it. You got to work for it. That's for yeah, sure. Yeah, it's, it's a huge transition for a lot of people. And, uh, you know, it's not how I enjoy spending my every other Tuesday at a board of supervisors meeting. But at the same time, had I not been doing that, I would not be able to be cultivating and running the business I am on my property. Mm. Yeah, you've been, you've been really active in it, man. I've seen that happen. You know, most uh, yeah. many other people's ha- are riding on on the coattails of your work, and uh, I'll thank you for them. How about that? Thank you, Ron. Yeah, no, <laughs> it's it's uh, <laughs> you know, it, it's either you have the money to pay a lawyer and have your lawyer explain it to you, or you're there and you get to know it firsthand. 
is yeah. how I really see that. So, and, so give uh, me, give me some market predictions uh, this year. What do you see happening? I wish I could, you know, the, the, the problem I'm seeing is distribution. Um, it's just a bottleneck and I don't know how that, you know, once that gets cleared up, I think that things will be better, but right now products are just sitting on the shelf mm-hmm. at the distribution level. So I don't know as far as clone wise though, it's uh, a really good year. I'm uh, adjusting my business plan a little bit and I'm actually going to get back to working with dispensaries this year because there is going to be a need for those people who can grow their six plants of being able to get quality product. And oh, yeah. the grow your own. Put out. Absolutely. Yeah. The clones that I put out at the end of May are our natural day length clones. So those are already adjusted to the natural light cycle. So they don't need supplemental lighting. They're already mm-hmm. UV hardened off. Mm-hmm. So those work really well. And quite frankly, I had to overlook that market last year because I was just filling such large orders. So we've kind of scaled back. We're taking orders as opposed to just getting that panic call of I need 300 and we empty the shelves. We're trying to be a little more organized and working with our cultivators of, you know, what's your light depth schedule? And so what day do you need them and what height do you need them so that we're not so frantic? (laughs) Right. Wow. Well, Ron, thanks for thanks for chatting with me today, man. I, I appreciate it. I want to get you on the show for a, a full length conversation. We got tons of great stuff to talk about. Yeah, sounds good. Nice hearing from you. Yeah. Hey, good chatting with you, bud. All right. Nice. What's going on, Chip? Oh, man, I've got you uh, live on the real dirt. I'm recording you oh, right now. <laughs> oh, yeah. How you doing, dude? How's it Good. How's the Colorado doing today? Oh man, it's doing good, man. I'm uh, puffing on some 16 week Panamanian. Mm. Nice. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah, as you can see, it, it it takes a it takes a, a minute to smoke the joint. I've been working on that one for like three Is that hours. Oh, or what? No, it's 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 homegrown. Homegrown. It's homegrown in Cali in in, in Colorado. Absolutely. Nice, All right, yeah, like little it. California. Nice. <laughs> I don't know. I don't. I don't know if that's politically correct or not. Be more like Little Arcata. So, dude, I'm calling people up today, and you randomly called me, and um, I'm asking uh, what the cannabis state of the union is, man. And I know so much is going on over there with you guys and uh, whatnot, dude. What's happening, man? I'm glad you called. Uh, I'm glad I called you, and, and you're on the phone. I was calling um, in regards to. Part of the reason I hit you up had to do with, you know, the state of the cannabis union and the way things are shifting and mm-hmm. the direction that we've both uh, taken our businesses um, and the and some of the shared vision I believe we have for where, where this is going and how we could stay uh, involved. And what's that word that people call themselves when they start getting old and they don't think they're important anymore? I don't know that word. I don't know that one. Relevant. 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 Yeah. So, <laughs> so, so, so in an effort to stay relevant in the industry and in this uh-huh. whole thing we call we, we call the cannabis, you know, there's some changes that have to be made, you know. And um man, the industry over here, things are looking things are looking a lot different in Humboldt than they were five years ago. Yeah, we talk in the uh the the horticultural equipment side. Cannabis side, both uh, sides. Yeah, I'm also talking like the uh, baseball coach side of things, and the uh, the barista side of things, mm-hmm. and um, mm-hmm. the people who work at our businesses side of things. And 
the partners I have in business side of things and the uh it's all changing. The the sunlight supply Hawthorne kind of thing. Yeah, no know? doubt. Big you business, know, big, all, big business coming in. It's all happening right now, you know? And um yeah, we've seen it coming for a while. We've done the best we could do, I think, to to stay on top of these things. But in our local community right now there we're 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 coming up on uh maybe some type of epidemics, you know, around this. We have we have we still only have about a few a couple thousand people maybe have tried to uh permit mm-hmm. and even had the and have even bought into the process. And we still have at least ten thousand farms in Humboldt County that are completely outside the process, haven't had any interest in trying to be a part of it more than vetting out the basics and trying to figure out how they're gonna make it for the next uh part of their life. Because it's a it's a lot different picture here, you know. It's yeah, absolutely. Businesses think they're going to come in. You know, I just read something this morning about Scott's fertilizer. Uh, they're they're all bummed out because they thought they didn't know the industry was going to have. Uh, I forget what the terminology was, but such a. Let me see. I'm going to look on here real quick. What was the name of the article? Mark. Scott's Miracle Grow eyes shrinkage after rollout in cannabis wreck in California. You know, I think that's that article is deceiving. It's this whole idea that you can come into California and roll out some cannabis business plan that's uh, based on some new dynamic. Mm-hmm. California's been doing this for 30, 50, 60, 70 years. Yeah, um, right. It's a whole lot different than rolling out a business plan through a new state like Colorado, for example. Or Maryland uh, or someplace like that where there's yeah. not the large infrastructure of private market cannabis. Yeah. And so in Humboldt here, we're still producing more cannabis than we did the year before. And some estimates say that California consumes somewhere around 3 million pounds of cannabis, I believe, and that we're producing upwards of 20 million pounds this year. Hell, man. I know between me and you, we probably smoke a million pounds. That number's got to be wrong. At least. (laughs) And, you know, it's all confusing because it doesn't talk about who's getting that stuff, who's making it into oil. Mm -hmm. Where it's going, what's going on with it. Right. But, yeah, yeah, so it was interesting you said State of the Cannabis Union because we just did um, our first podcast through Humboldt Green's website there, GoHumboldtGreen.com. And um, it's on YouTube. And it's uh, the State of the Cannabis Union in Humboldt. We put it on there about a week or two ago. And it was something we recorded during Green Week just a couple of weeks ago. Oh, awesome, man. I'm, I'm, but, yeah. you know, we're, we're thinking alike. I didn't I didn't see that, but uh, we're always on the same oh, wavelength. Look. <laughs> I thought you'd appreciate that. Yeah, totally, totally. That's fucking hysterical. Um, <laughs> and so so tell me about this, uh, this your, your podcast release here. Well, um, the, the Humboldt State of the Union. So during Green Week last couple of weeks ago in Humboldt, we did, um, like I said, the State of Cannabis Union in Humboldt. We started a group about two years ago called the Humboldt Cannabis Council. And the Humboldt Cannabis Council is comprised of about, I think there's 13 of us. We get together every couple of weeks and just talk about the state of the, the cannabis union in Humboldt. And um, we're always trying to find solutions that will help our customers our clients and our community, you know, with 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 finding solutions. So we're a bunch. We're a group of. There's some consultants on the team. We've got some business owners. We've got a, some people involved in politics. We've got a lawyer in the group, and everyone's trying to, you know, we come together and just put our heads together. 
And then our um, podcast that we did just a couple weeks ago, um, we put that out there. So you know, you know, I know you've started your podcast and it's been going great. And I've been uh, a big fan of it from the beginning. A lot. I thought it would be a great idea to do it. And so many other people thought the same thing. And lots of people watch and listen to your program. So kudos on that. And uh, we, I, I want to myself. I'd really like to have uh, a podcast that we that we put out there on a frequent basis, like you're, you're doing from Humboldt here. And uh, yeah, absolutely, this, man. This little attempt, yeah, this little thing we did during Green Week was just a little attempt to uh, to scratch the surface on that. But that was more. It was more of a discussion between about four or five of us. There was uh, Dan Marr, who's with uh, High Tide Culture. He was at the meeting, and Gretchen Miller. Uh, Gretchen, Gretchen Miller, Kiss she, Canoe. She's a Kiss Canoe mm-hmm. and uh, farms, and they make cannabis products in California. And then we had uh, um, we had Joanna from uh, DBS. Uh, DBS uh, is a soil. A soil company, they're testing soils and analyzing mm-hmm. things and helping people find solutions for their farming needs. Mm-hmm. And then I, I was in the meeting, uh, the conversation, and then Ken Hammock, who's a futurist and somebody that we, uh, we've been working with at Humboldt Green for the last few years, he, he was the moderator. So it was a good conversation. Uh, I encourage you to check it out. Yeah, absolutely, man. We'll we'll uh, we'll uh, I'll check it out. I'll I'll make sure we get it up on our feed too. So, what's the what's the overall feeling? The overall feeling is that big business is coming into the industry, and big business is going to kind of take over. Uh, a lot of people that are successful and have been successful in Humboldt here for the last 10, 15 years are finding themselves doing things that they haven't done in 10 years, like what are their own greenhouses mm-hmm. or, or, or tell mm-hmm. their partner or tell their wife to stop going shopping. I, I just say that because a guy said it to me this morning. Yeah. Right. We were sitting there having coffee and my one friend who now a, con, a, a mutual friend of ours. In fact, I was sitting there having coffee with, and it, uh, there's a little spot up at the top of fickle Hill that he's been working with for a couple of years. And he's like, God damn, he, stop I going to the we, store. I know when we got that greenhouse going, um, there was a few people operating it, right? And I know today that now our, our good one, he's up there doing it, you know, and handling yep. it. Yep. And so that's been a, it's been a big shift for people just in a couple of years. Oh yeah. You know? I, I, and, I talked um, him into a, a drip system. Uh, after yeah, like I tried to, man. I'm glad you did. I, oh, it, it it took me 15 years. But okay, okay, I'll feel bad then. And I only tried for a year. Yeah, totally, totally. So, you know, and I had to talk them out of putting those beds in up there too when they built that, but they had to wait a year and a half later and then rip those beds out. Sorry, buddy. You're listening. Sorry. <laughs> I still love that, you. Hey, I'm just going to edit this section out, right? <laughs> no, you got to keep it in there. We didn't drop no names or nothing. <laughs> no, right, right. But, yeah, well. you know, so um, so another, the other guy sitting at the table with us this morning said, his daughter said to him, uh, the other day, Dad, are we poor again? Like you used to be, <laughs> you know? Yeah, and little, I think that might have been something that maybe she kids. overheard when Dad told Mom to stop going shopping. <laughs> so I mean, the, I, I, I'm laughing about that, but that's a reality, man. That's a reality. People are looking at where their money's going. The conversation started this morning at the coffee house with us talking about how savings are the profits in the cannabis industry right now. So people that have been 
doing all this work for all these years, there's nowhere else to make more money. The price of cannabis is still coming down. The best way for somebody to make some money right now is to save some money right now. And so mm-hmm. I think people are becoming more efficient. Farms are getting tighter. And it's not the end of the world for everyone, but a lot of people that have just been getting by on the fat that's been squeezing out of the industry don't quite have that same resource any longer. And they're going to have to find something else to do. But a good majority of the people, the world brain trust and all things cannabis, have to get creative on how to, how to continue doing the types of jobs that, they've wanted, that they want to do. And um, yeah, so another thing that we're involved with out here recently, and we're about to push this project forward, is uh, employment services. Oh, yeah. Key. It, it's, it's such a big industry here in Colorado. That's for sure. Um, but everywhere. And I'm, I've used part-time uh, 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 labor fulfillment in all my manufacturing businesses at some point. It's perfect for the cannabis industry. There, there you go. Here, if, if, if our listeners don't know that sound, there's a torch that's uh, just turned on. Um, it's a common sound you hear at Steve's office. Uh, Steve, Steve had the first uh, smoking, uh, cannabis smoking office I think I went into, right, in the, in the, in the industry. You know, because as a soil seller, when I was starting out Royal Gold, I'd go in these distribution places and offices of retail stores, and this was uh, one of his places. And we sat down and fired up a joint and did business at a desk just like normal people. It, it, it was a... Uh, it was a great experience. Yes, it was. <laughs> we're, we're still doing it today, Chip. I just saw you smoking a joint on your side. I decided I'd, uh, I'd come hit up some of this fine turp. That's some live resin. Great turp, live resin out of Humboldt County. Wow, it looks incredible. You're actively in the marketplace because you, you, you have one of the largest set of uh, retail hydroponic stores, hydroponic style stores, grow stores in the country. So you get to see like what the commercial farmers are buying. Right, the private market people, the legal people, the regulated people. Like, what are farmers buying right now to com- make them competitive? Yeah, it's true. Also, with our uh, consulting firm, Wondery Consulting, we've been getting out to a lot of more of the farms too. So, yeah, a lot, what are people buying right now? Well, the difference is that you know people in Humboldt have been buying the same ingredients for a long time. From mm-hmm. my pers- from my lens, a lot mm-hmm. of the outdoor farms. Really, it's a matter of where, who they're buying it from and how much they're buying. So now that they're, they're legal or they're just buying more, and now that the industry's uh, on the radar of all the bigger businesses that are out there, there's a lot more direct deals to be had. And there's a lot more ways to buy in bulk. And then so really the process looks more like this. When someone comes to the store now, we say, hey, have you had a soil sample? A what? Mm. Have you tested your soil to see what's in it? Mm-hmm. No, I just... No. And so we're, we're asking people to let us do a soil sample for you so we can see what your, is in your soil before we just start adding everything in, under the sun into your, your soil that you've been adding stuff to for 17 years. Yeah, customer service right there. You know, Absolutely. So, so we analyze what's in their soil, and then we can help them get more specific direct ingredients. You know, if they just need pure nitrogen, just get the pure nitrogen. Don't get a 1277. You know, just get... Just get the 12 that you need. Yeah, right. So, so and, and apply the fertilizers at the time when the plants are using them more than just dump everything on there in the beginning because then you're just washing away a bunch of nutrients. 
Mm-hmm. So our goal, our goal is you know, not to sell you more nutrients at North Coast Horticulture Supply. The goal is to sell you what you need. Customer service. Yeah, absolutely. So, so yeah, so what people are using, really, they're buying more totes. They're buying big old totes of stuff. They're buying, um, you know, raw ingredients, you know, mm-hmm. your bone meals, your green sands, your, your um, molasses and bulk. You know, we saw a lot of this time of year, we saw a decent amount of lime. People are starting to figure out how important lime is. That's mm-hmm. when I first started gardening when I was a kid, I knew lime, lime was the only thing I ever saw anybody use in the garden. Yeah, sure. You know, helps stabilize the pH and provides uh, some calcium, phosphorus, a little magnesium, you know, a little, some trace, trace stuff, mm-hmm. but lots of calcium. Yeah. But anyways, so, uh, you know, biological teas and tea brewers are something that people are buying now versus just buying the tea. They're buying their own brewers and they're brewing up their own teas. Um, people are not buying lights. That's something people are not buying. Yes, um, this is correct. I could, yeah. <clears throat> I think there's enough lights out there mm-hmm. at this point that people just trade them and, you know, get cheap ones used. Mm-hmm. Um, well, there's no, there's no indoor build outs allowed right now in the licensing and people haven't seen like the real economic impact for it over there, but like it, it, it will come, you know, as soon as they allow indoor cultivation licensing or, you know, it, it'll, it'll start to happen there. But, oh yeah. It's just, there's, there's no licensing for indoor and everybody's uh, promoting the outdoor and, yeah. and humble right now, man, the, the outdoor, um, the voice for the outdoor became really loud over the last few years. Indoor has been really looked at in a negative way over here because of the, the resources that are perceived to be needed to grow it. Yet, you know, the price of indoor is gone for twice as much as outdoor. Yeah, well, you know, there's a, it's so much cheaper to grow outside there, that's for sure. But it's just yeah. a different part of the marketplace. That's all I'm saying. It's a different part of the marketplace. Yeah. But you're absolutely right. It was also a place where it was hard to scale beyond just the handful of lights in Humboldt because you had this the generator scene for a moment, which made people be able to like scale. But then people realized they could just light up, you know, or outdoor, different outdoor techniques and scale, you know, in a similar manner, you know, without yeah. having to put the the generator and the risking bust getting busted by a fishing game or, you know, air quality over running a big generator. So it was ne- they never had that expansion, but now should be anyway, people can go in and get warehouses with 800 and thousand amps. Right. Right. I know there's limited amount of that stuff there, but, but I agree. It's all, it's all outdoor yeah. there for sure. People are thinking smarter about what they're buying. And infra- they're buying more infrastructure too. They're buying tanks and they're buying, you know, pond liner and they're buying less, more la- less labor buy. though, less labor, less long-term yeah. labor, more contract yeah. labor. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. So your prediction for the future. Humboldt County and Northern gets, gets tighter and tighter. Lots of people are uh, scrambling on what to do over this year. Uh, people are dropping out and moving elsewhere. Other parts of the country where, mm-hmm. uh, where uh, black market cannabis uh, rules, uh, and where they can get more money for their skills. And they're, they're, a lot of Humboldt was also grown in Northern California on people that are willing to take a risk. So those people are going to move somewhere they can take a risk and get a more of a reward. That was the nature of it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, absolutely. So, you know, California market is, is producing 
producing more than than we sell in California. It's harder to get it out of the other. There's less of a demand in other states because a lot of people are growing it elsewhere. So I think the, uh, the price of cannabis for the commodity in California this year is going to go down a little bit. The price of the premium cannabis is going to go up. People that are selling in the um, legal market, the fully legal uh, market in California, are going to reap really good benefits because there's enough. There's lots of bottlenecks that'll exist for another year or two in California in the fully legal market. Um, 2018 across the country, I think there's going to be a little more a crackdown on people for weed again. People are getting arrested for weed at a, at a higher rate over over the next year or two, even though it's legal. Because it's legal, I, driving up and down Interstate Five right now, Chip. There's signs. There's signs telling you to dime your neighbors out, and, you know, for not doing the right thing, growing their weed. And stuff. So there's more pressure on on people, and people are gonna result. You know, the competition more fierce around producing cannabis and the whole industry. So I think there'll be a few more casualties as well. But um, So unfortunately, over the next year or so, I think there's a tough outlook for the industry, but for the consumer and for the average person that needs to gain access to cannabis, I think those people are happy. There's more and more places opening up, more and more knowledge being put out there. Lots more people trying these products, they're trying the medicine, they're seeing the the benefits that's only that's only a positive you know yeah absolutely um, so but you know unfortunately because of the business of it i feel like that more people will be incarcerated i know that there's been a little bit of a drop off but i i feel with the uh the administration that's in there right now that we're definitely going to start to see like a backlash a little bit but you know if they make it easier for people to invest it takes away the uh the risk to reward ratio factors and that's that's where everybody's made all their money with cannabis. It hasn't been uh, in in farming, you know. It's been in this uh, the risk, right? So, yeah, you know, it is. Yeah, uh, it was risky. You're risking your life and everything to do it, right? So it paid more, just like a really, you know. But I, I, you know, I see lots of benefits, lots of new businesses and opportunities for people to work together to remain leaders in the industry. I think the people that have been involved with it are focused on on that leaders on the leadership roles and need to embrace those roles moving forward and um, build yourself a resume start to work with other professionals and other people that are that are that are doing well I think that's one of the areas where we're where we're missing is that we've been using all of our resources to build a whole bunch of small entities a whole bunch of small collaborations where we need to bring more people together in this to make it work to remain in a good position so i i, I feel that there's there's going to be there's going to be a bubble that pops but if you're focused on leadership roles and doing all the right stuff uh, and looking to have the premium product and all this that you'll excel and uh be, be a leader in the industry that's, that's one of the biggest things going on in the world right now yeah ma'am just be a be a pioneer be a pioneer again that's what uh, the ganja growers were initially well hey man thanks for chatting with me man i really appreciate your time bud 